0: hope has a name and his name is jesus you can be seated congregation i'm going to read pastor's text for him this morning comes from luke 24 13 through 35 luke 24 13 through 35 and this is what it says and behold two of them went that same day to a village called emmaus which was from jerusalem about three score furlongs That's seven miles And they walked together of all these things which had, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus Himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know Him. And He said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have to one another as ye walk and are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? And hast thou known the things which are to come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed, and in the word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and hath crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed israel and beside all this today is the third day since things the these things were done ye and a certain woman also of our company made us astonished which were early at the sepulchre. and when they found not his body they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels which had said that he was alive and certain of them which were with us went to sepulcher and found it even so, as the woman had said, but him they saw not. And he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ, who have suffered these things, and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village, that whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at the meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to him. And their eyes were open, and they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they arose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in the breaking of bread. Let us pray. Lord, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for your truth. We're thankful that you reveal yourself to us. And we pray you would do that as we get into your word today. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Praise the Lord, it's so good to be with you here this morning and we're gonna get right into the word of the Lord because the Lord has got a great word for this church this morning. How many's ready for the preaching of the word, amen? Well, you're not, you may be ready for the preaching but you're no more ready for me than for me to preach it, I'll tell you that for sure. But we see in our text at the day of the resurrection that there was a man by the name of Cleopas who was, on, who was the brother of Joseph and he was also the uncle of Jesus and he was walking to Emmaus from Jerusalem. I've heard my whole life about these two men who were on the road to Emmaus. How many have ever heard about the two men that was on the road to Emmaus? However, some scholars believe that even though we know it was Cleopas, yet the most scholars that I begin to study here lately think that it was actually Cleopas's wife that come alongside to walk with him. And when I read the different accounts concerning these two, I would have argued that there was two men that walked on this road. But the scripture does not bear out that there was two men. It actually just says that there were two people. I would have argued that to my death. a matter of fact, when I was studying one of the scholars I was sitting there and he began to talk about how it was Cleopas and his wife. I said, that's unscriptural. Because the Bible says that there were two men. And all of a sudden I was challenged by the Lord to go look it up. And I searched everywhere in the scripture that I could to prove my point that it was two men. And I could not find it because it does not say that it was two men that walked on the road to Emmaus. It just says that there were two people. And this is how that you and I can believe something for years concerning the scripture by us just simply reading something into the scripture that is not there. It is so important that when we study the word of God that we slow down, dissect every word, pay attention to what has taken place because for over 30 some years this preacher has believed that those two people that were walking on the road were two men. Now, I know that's not really that important, but nevertheless, we've got to be careful how we read things into Scripture, and we've got to be very careful how we interpret it. But nevertheless, the Bible tells us in verse 14 that they talked together of all the things which had happened. Now, the things that they were talking about was concerning the crucifixion of Jesus and his death and his burial. It is here where they were trying to make sense of what they just said seen and what they just experienced. They had been in the city of Jerusalem and they witnessed the ghastly hours of the crucifixion of Jesus upon the cross and there them too watched this man Jesus die. Them being the aunt and the uncle of Jesus and knew him up close and personal could not comprehend what they had just seen. Here they are and they watched their nephew die. They watched this Messiah, this man by the name of Jesus die upon on that cross. They had seen the three and a half incredible years of the ministry of their nephew come to a crashing close. Matter of fact, now here they are. They're headed back to some grave life away from the sinner, going back to living on the edge, away from now the dead hope Messiah. Matter of fact, at one time they were all pumped up about their new life that they found in this man called Jesus. But now their dreams were dead because Jesus was Dead. Their hopes were crushed. Their vision of redemption was lost and that was destroyed. Everything that they believed, everything that they had hoped for, came to a screeching halt that very day. Everything seemed to literally die in its track. Momentum was lost. Faith was abolished. All of the community of faith had left their religious systems. They had left their ceremonies and their practice of the religion. To follow this man called Jesus, they bought into him. His popularity, his fame had grew beyond measure and the multitudes of simple, common, everyday people that was wanting to know God caused an uproar in the land by following him. Rome viewed him as a threat and the religious groups, mainly the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes viewed him as a public nuisance and they wanted to dispose him. And due to Jesus being a threat to Rome, Rome flexed its ugly muscles and killed the revolution that the revolution that threat threat that he was to bring and that he was to become while the Jewish people looked for Christ to free them from the Roman rule and from the Roman government all they seen was now that the power of the Roman government rise up Flex its muscle and destroyed all of their hopes and all of their dreams of Jesus freeing them. Again, it seemed that Rome had won. Again, it seemed that Rome had conquered one of the greatest revolutions that was ever started. That once that had power and momentum and fame was spreading abroad all of a sudden in a one three nail hit upon the hands and the feet of Jesus nailing him to a cross, it came to a crushing close. Now this once firebrand disciples who were full of faith and power at one time who walked around preaching and witnessing and having results and they were all out there and they were some of the world kind of thought they were cocky but here these same disciples of Jesus now they find themselves scattered fleeing for their very lives. These disciples who had forsook all many of them left their livelihoods left their occupations just to follow Jesus. They forsook their comforts, their religious beliefs and now they're walking away humiliated, embarrassed, ashamed. They're walking away defeated and they're walking away fearful. Matter of fact, when Jesus finds them on the road to Emmaus, the Bible says that they were saddened. Their countenance had fallen. Death had come to them. And here they are without no hope. Here they are just seeming like their life is over. Everything that they expected, everything Everything that they had dreamed, everything that they had put stock and barrel in is all crushed and gone. They were recalling the vision as they walked down the road of the horrendous display of the crucifixion with all of their dreams and hopes had died. And can you imagine how they actually how can how they actually felt and how confused they were? Can you imagine how how none of this really made sense to them? One minute he's calming the winds and the waves of the sea, and the next next minute He's down on a cross. He healed the sick. He opened the blinded eyes. He raised the dead. Even demons were subject to his name according to the word of the Lord. How could they deny? yet explain the evidences of his supernatural messianic identity in the face of Calvary. How could he one minute be a savior with all of the evidence and the next minute he's dying and being put in a grave? It did not make sense. Everything they believed about him seemed to be so real. Evidence seemed to follow him. Spiritual witness testified of him. Everything pointed to this man being the Messiah. He's the real deal. He's the closer. He's gonna make it happen and that's what they thought uh, from the very beginning of John the Baptist bearing record of him at the baptism you remember when John pointed him out on the Judean uh, uh, on the Jordan River bank uh, and said Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. But if you cannot believe John the Baptist's testimony, if that wasn't good enough, at that very baptism, a dove comes and lights upon the shoulder of Jesus Christ, and a cloud appeared over him, and a voice came out of the cloud and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Even it seemed that God, the heaven, God in heaven, testified of his sonship. How could you deny his first miracle At the wedding of Canaan of Galilee Where he turned water into wine And he satisfied and brought joy To that whole community How could you explain Or what conclusion could you reach Of who he was when Elijah And Moses appeared with him on the Mount Transfiguration and again Another voice come out of heaven saying This is my beloved son Hear ye him Oh what evidence is pointed to him Everything deceived. to be so real? Has there ever been times in your life when God seemed to move upon your behalf? Everything seemed to witness to the bear witness to the fact that God's working with you and for you and he's setting you up for blessing. Has there times when God has come and blessed you and you are all hyped up and excited like the disciples were about the soon coming miracles in your life due to this Messiah that is truly the son of the living God? That's how they felt. That's what what's going on in their lives, but why, how, so many questions with no answers because all of their hopes are gone because he's gone. Can I have an amen? Nothing seemed to make sense. Is there times in your life when nothing seems to make sense? Everything was chaotic. Confusion was the order of the day, and God's not the author of confusion. Vision had been lost Life had been taken. The wind had went out of the sails of the old gospel ship. Hope was gone. Think about where these guys were at. Think about it, guys. Think of what they experienced in the light of what they believed and embraced to be true. The death of a vision is a traumatic thing. Matter of fact, Proverbs 29 and 18 says, where there's no vision, the people perish. Without a vision, there is no purpose. Without a vision, there's no passion and direction for life. There's no real reason to live. You just kind of exist. You just kind of float around and you just try to maintain your life. Do you know how this describes so many in the church world today? There are so many believers walking around just existing, just roaming with no real purpose. They're just living from day to day, trying to keep their head above the water, controlled by whatever the day may bring them. Whatever the day brings, that's what we'll deal with. They're just dog paddling in the sea of life, just trying to keep their head above the trials. And They'll wake up and say, whatever dishes out today, that's what I'm going to deal with. There's no go. There's no end ambitions. There's no spiritual vision. There's no purpose. There's no aim in life. They're just existing. They're just going from day to day from moment to moment from circumstance to circumstance uh, just trying to somehow survive until the Lord comes and maybe I'll get to be, get to go to heaven. I want to tell you that's how these people felt. and Let me tell you many of you are right there right now. now I've been there before myself when I've lost holy ambition, when I've lo- lost the fire and the fervency of my faith when nothing seemed to be going my way and when everything seemed to crumble around me that I believed to be true and held fast to be important in my life. There's been times when I woke up thinking one thing was going to happen that day only for something bad to happen that day. Is anybody with me in the ship of a trial and tribulation? That's where these people were at. Oh yeah when life doesn't make sense when everything just crumbles around you. Everything you put stock in and barrel in. everything you believe to come to everything you believe about this faith business and this spiritual business sometimes can be negated overnight over prevailing circumstances that shows up in your path to mock you can I have an amen I'm speaking to somebody here today oh, as they walked and they talked together on the road to Maus this is where this aunt and uncle found themselves though they were part of the family of Jesus Yet they're lost from the reality of their identity in Him. So much of the time, we are part of the family of Jesus, but we have lost the identity of and the purpose of what that means. Can I have an amen? We are children of God, saints. You're heirs of God and joint heirs of Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen? Their senses were overwhelmed. Their fo- hope and faith had crushed in a single night. There was overwhelming sense of abandonment from Jesus who had promised that I will never leave you nor forsake you, but it seems that though he lied because now he's dead, taken off of a cross, placed in a tomb and buried. Can you imagine the emotional debris this caused and the emotional trauma? All kinds of emotions begin to come to the forefront and be manifested through them. And isn't it odd that trials bring out the worst emotions in you? Come on now. Fear gripped their hearts, doubt, unbelief, worry, grief, anxiety, sadness, mourning. Joy's gone. But mainly of all, they're full of anger, not understanding. They're mad. They're upset. They don't know why things happened the way that they did. I'm sure their emotions were all over the place, feeling used, abandoned, and lied to. Now they're feeling... From fleeing from the terror of this, of this loss of their Messiah. They're saying he's gone. There's nothing to believe in anymore. There's nothing to hold on to. There is nothing to stabilize you. There's no truth as a foundation anymore. Truth has died on the cross. He said he was truth, but it is all just nothing but a lie. The world in which they had lived and hoped for for three solid years had collapsed, They had invested their whole lives in what? And for what? Why did they invest? Why did they follow him around for three and a half years? Why did they do that? That's what their question was. Was it all a hoax? Was Jesus a fraud? Was it nothing more than just a scam? They've been scammed. Have you ever felt like you've been scammed? My brother one time had bought a boat and... Done it over the internet and come to find out he sent his money to the guy only to be scammed because the guy was over in Nigeria somewhere. And he lost several thousands of dollars and never got a vote. Scammed, betrayed, embarrassed. You know how foolish, he said, you know how foolish this thing made me feel? Here's how these people feel. I've been so foolish to believe in this man and put all of my livelihood in, put all stock and barrel, everything that I had, I've given to the cause of this thing called the kingdom. And yet now it's gone. It's no longer here invisible and tangible for me to believe in. Everything they believed was gone because he was gone. Now instead of them embracing the words that Jesus had spoken they now discarded them in the light of their circumstances. Why shouldn't they? To them they proved to be nothing but empty words and broken promises anyway. Because everything that he said never come to pass. Everything that he ever said or promised seemed to be Nothing but a lie and a hoax. The things he spoke seemed to be, seemed to die, I should say, in their hearts as he died. We see death of a vision in them. We see hope abolished. We see faith crushed. We see dreams broken due to the prevailing circumstances that was staring them in the face. Have you ever been really hot one minute only to be cold the next over the change of a climate, over the change of an atmosphere? Come on now. There are times that we can come into this house and it's dripping with the anointing. People are have high expectation. Things are happening. Pe- sit- feet are patting. Hands are clapping. Le- hands are lifted up in praise and worship. Voices are being lifted up. But all of a sudden there are other times when there's personal attacks when the heavenlies are filled with the prince of the powers, pall- the palates of the air to come against you that when you come in all of a sudden There is no worship. There is no clapping of hands. There is no patting of the foot. There is no excitement. There is why? Because circumstances has changed and and, and problems have arised and all of a sudden darkness has moved in and all of a sudden the climate has changed and now instead of the spoken word of God being the clarity of our vision and being the clarity of our movement now it is the circumstances that has taken over and we're blurred in our vision and we're blinded and we allow the circumstances to dictate to us our faith. We've all been there. Some of you are heavily there right now. I've been tested and tried in the last several months like I have never been tested and tried in years for me to back up on my preaching, to settle in, maintain for just a few years, retire and just settle out of this thing peacefully. But I want the devil to know this old loud my preacher ain't pulling back for nothing. I'm standing up and declaring the word of the Lord. My vision has not blurred. My mission has not been aborted. I have a purpose that's not been negated. And as long as I have breath will praise and magnify the Lord and declare his goodness among the land of the living. Stand to your feet and praise him. Hallelujah. Praise God. Everything they had invested their lives in were gone. The whole enterprise had evaporated. The kingdom that they bought into was scattered to the four ends of the earth. Making sense of it was impossible. I'll tell you one thing, folks. Don't try to make sense of things that's beyond your ability to make sense of. There's a thing called trust. There's a thing called faith. Faith is a substance of things hoped for and evidences that cannot be seen. Come on. You and I must understand that it's not our job to try to make sense of the things that's happening to us. Just trust. These people were so fast to abandon their faith in the light of their prevailing circumstances and they seemed to discard the words that Jesus promised, and the truth that he had established. Why wouldn't they only, why shouldn't they abandon the words Jesus said? Only a miracle can make possible the things which he spoke and promised. But on the other hand, when did they quit believing in miracles? Hello? Why is it that we can believe as long as there's a little bit of a tangible reality that'll come to pass? But why is it that we who preach miracles, Pentecostal people, all the time, when we get to the place where we need one, we fall apart because we think it's impossible that it's going to come? Is anybody in this house with me this morning? In order for you to need a miracle, it means that there's obstacles beyond your control and your ability to be able to take care of. But here they are. They discard that which Jesus established to be truth because only a miracle could make it come to pass. And when they were with him, they seen the miraculous, even they were used in the supernatural themselves. Why would they allow what happened in the natural and the physical dictate to them what they were to believe about the spiritual? Why do we allow feelings, circumstances, events dictate to us what we're going to believe that God's going to do for us? Why do we allow in the church services certain things to be dominant and just cave in as well? What will be, will be. And we believe the things that are tangible and not be able to grasp hold of the things that's promised spiritually. Come on now. Right now, there is churches losing their faith over a pandemic, over a virus. Come on now. There are people so disheartened. Churches are are, are falling like a rock all because of an unseen power called a virus. But there's an unseen power called the Holy Ghost. Why can we buy into an unseen pandemic virus when we can't buy into an unseen God has proven himself over and over and over again. He is alive, he is alive. Why would they allow this natural to dictate to them the elements of the spiritual? Why would they believe that reality is what is manifested in the natural? and not what exists by faith and through the eye of faith in the spiritual. How could they not possibly believe when they had witnessed Jesus defile the laws of the natural on so many occasions? He done it by making the blind see, the deaf to hear, the dumb to speak, the dead to live, the wind to cease, the storms to calm, the bound to become free and on and on and on and on. Jesus defiled the laws of nature Why is it that we too are so prone to be like these disciples and be so quick to abandon our faith over a prevailing circumstance? Why is it that we want to abandon our faith when everything seems to be working against the direct opposite of what we think should come to pass? Even though death was manifested. What happened to believing in a Lazarus moment? If Jesus can raise Lazarus from the dead, cannot God raise Jesus from the dead? Remember when Jesus showed up at the tomb of Lazarus? Oh, if you would have been here four days earlier, my brother would have lived. Oh, he, he's not dead, he'll live again. Oh, I know we will live again in the last day at the last time. No, you got it all wrong. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. When I think of the story of Lazarus, I think of a man by the name of Lane Reasons. Lane has been through so much in the last several years. Many things that's personal that y'all know nothing about and that I cannot speak about. He's talked to me about them. His family's talked to me about them. But over the last, not just months, not just a year or two, but for years, he's took one hit right after another, one hit right after another, one hit. And when one thought, well, it can't get any worse, it does get worse from one extreme, from one extreme of his life to another, from his health, from his finances, from, I, I can't go into all, but that man has been through literal hell. Three years ago, he was told that he had to go on dialysis for his kidneys, what a blow. Two years ago, he went on a kidney transplant list. After a donor agreed to give a kidney, after testing and observation, a letdown occurred. It was rejected. Family members were tested and not qualified due to not being a match. Again, another letdown occurred. Lots of discouraging things happened. I could talk for hours. Due to his age, the kidney transplant, they told him up front, because of your age, you don't have good odds, and probably the favor is not in on your side. It probably won't happen. One thing led to another one thing after another, after another, after another's happened to that man. And right when you think, oh, well, things can't get any worse, something else would come. Another blow would come. But when I was working on this message, me, myself, being tied up because of a virus. Hey, I didn't want the virus, but I got it. Didn't plan on it. Lived by faith that I wouldn't get it, but I did. And I was put in jail for 10 days. <clears throat> My mom drove me crazy, and I drove my mom crazy. And Jenny, we kicked out. <laughs> Just plumb laid there and was praying over the church and praying over the people, trying to study, use my time wisely. And I was putting this sermon together, and God began to deal with me about this sermon. And I was probably three-fourths through it. And one night at 3 o'clock in the morning, I told you, she I was laying there sound asleep and all of a sudden I just jumped up like this in my bed. And lame reasons come to my mind and God said, this is what God said. This is what I'm going to do for my people. Right out of nowhere, no promise in sight, no sign of anything happening, no movement, no stirring, no assurance, no rhema, no encouragement, no word of affirmation, Everything's silent, everything's dark. Right out of the middle of nowhere, a phone call came and said, Lane, come and get your kidney. A Lazarus moment took place. I'm here to prophesy over this church. I'm here to tell you there may not be no movement. The man of God's went up on top of the mountain. Elijah asked, What do you see? He says, I see nothing. But Elijah says, I'm telling you, even though you don't see it, rain's coming, boy. Rain's coming. Holy Spirit outpouring's coming. It's going to happen. Go back and look again. He goes back. I don't see anything. I don't see anything. Trip after trip after trip, there's no sign. There's no visible evidence. There's no proof. There's nothing. Happen- but the prophets declared it. I don't care. He's declared it. He's a lie. It's all a hoax. It's not going to happen. Why look at the circumstances? The sun is shining. There's not a cloud inside. Oh, but on the seventh trip when he went up, what do you see? All's I see is a cloud about the... Ha- Size of a man's fist and I'm telling you a flood came and I'm here to prophesy though the evidences may stack against you there is a move of God coming your way there's a Lazarus moment about to happen stand to your feet and praise him if you believe it Oh, I think you can praise him one more time. You know, Lane may still be dealing with some obstacles. He still has some grave clothes on him, like maybe Lazarus did. But I'm here to tell you there's life in Lane Reasons this morning. Just cause you receive your miracle, don't mean the devil ain't gonna try to steal it from you. Invite you and oppose you during it. Amen. When Lazarus was in a certain meeting, people came to see Jesus, and they came to see Lazarus, who had been raised from the dead. And they sought to kill Lazarus. They wanted to stop his testimony. And the devil may try that on Lane, but it doesn't matter. The Lazarus moments didn't happen. The words has already been said. Come forth, and he's came forth, and he shall live and not die. What has happened to us believing in what Jesus said in Hebrews 13 and 5? I will never leave you nor forsake you. How many believe that Jesus is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother? Did he not believe him on the great commission? He said, lo, I'll be with you even to the ends of the earth. Do you not believe in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that you're not going to be tempted above what you're able to bear, but will with the temptation God's going to make a way that you'll be able to escape it? Come on now. You believe Romans 8, 28, all things, not some things, all things work together with the good of them, that love the Lord to them who are called according to his purpose. No, I wasn't speaking in tongues. <laughs> Just because things doesn't happen the way you think and, and the, way they sh- the way you think they should happen and the when they should happen doesn't mean they're not going to happen, folks. Delayed. Divine delays are not denials. And I'm here to tell somebody four days late is nothing more than a prerequisite for a resurrection. And before something's resurrected, it has to die. And if something dies, there's one or two reasons of why it dies. Number one, God's about to resurrect the dead. Or number two, God allowed the old to die to resurrect something new in its place. Amen. Either God's about to restore the years the cankerworm has destroyed in your life or he allowed the cankerworm worm to destroy some things in order that he might be able to resurrect some new possibilities in your life that'll blow your highest expectation. Amen? No matter what, what the devil meant for bad, God will bring it about to your good. Do you believe that? God is good. And he's good all the time, amen? Say all the time with me when things don't make sense when things get bleak when things get cold when things get dark when everything seems to be wrong everything's going against you nothing's materializing the way that you think nothing's in order the way that you think they should be in order God's good Sister Thomas preached one of the most fabulous messages on Wednesday night about God being a good God and how that he's going to show his goodness in the land of the living not he don't have to wait to heaven to see the goodness of God Amen what a powerful message My whole life has been turned around the last four or five months or weeks, I should say, when I heard a man just say, God's good all the time. And I've heard that expression a million times, but it resonated with me. So when I get down and nothing makes sense and nothing's materializing the way that I think it should materialize and nothing's going my way and everything that seems to be working against me in the opposite direction of what I think my faith should be taking me, I get to stop and I say, God's good. In this God is good. In this, God is good. God's goodness will prevail in this. Amen? Don't lose faith in the face of adversity. Keep dreaming. Keep believing. Keep hoping. Keep pursuing. Keep speaking. The words of your mouth will reflect the belief of your spirit. Speak. Declare. Decree the things that are not as though they were. Don't curse your dream. Don't abort your promise. And whatever you do, folks, speak faith. Don't be like Peter when asked. After the death of Jesus and the burial of Jesus, Peter, being that great influential apostle that he was, a group comes to him, him being the leader of the pack, and they ask him, What are you going to do now? And this great leader had such spiritual insight. This great apostle, he stands up and he says, I go fishing. What kind of answer is that? Peter was going to pick up his nets and he was going to go back to his old life. That's the answer. People are looking to him as a leader. He's an influencer. What are we going to do now, Peter? Where are we going to go, Peter? Give us some apostolic anointing advice. I want to give you advice. I go fishing. I'm leaving it, it's over, it's done, it's collapsed. Everything I put my life into, it's gone. He's gone. As soon as the dark details of the crucifixion appeared and things didn't materialize the way that Peter thought, He was so fast to jump ship, abandon everything that was sacred, go back to his old life, being a fisherman, leaving the spiritual to go back to the natural. And all too often, that's what we do right here because of the things that we're going through. He soon forgotten the words that he said to Jesus when he was on that high, when he sat with him, when he walked with him and ate with him and Heard the words of life. Jesus said, the words I speak to you, they are spirit in their life. And Peter's eating it up and he's on a high note with Jesus. As long as with Peter's with Jesus, everything's okay. He's even able to take a sword and cut a servant of the high priest's ear off and he's ready to die for Jesus as long as Jesus is standing there. But when Jesus is to take away and betrayed, he curses him and denies him and don't even say he knows him. Warns himself by the fire of the world. A cock crows because he denied him three times that night. But Peter soon forgot the words that he told Jesus when the multitudes were thronging Jesus and he was there participating in the supernatural and Jesus is turning two small uh, fishes and a few loaves of bread into a miraculous banquet board. Everything's on a high note, but soon as Jesus quit performing the miracles, the multitudes forsook him and fled. Now that God may not be doing something supernatural in an evidence in a natural way, are you going to leave him? Are you going to abandon ship and what you believe? The things he's spoken to you, do you no longer validate them as established truth? just because it ain't happening in your timetable and when you think it should and how you think it should? Come on. But Peter looks at him and sees all these people leave and Jesus catches his eye and he says, Peter, are you gonna leave me too? And he says, oh, where do I have to go? You and you only have the words to eternal life. I'm not going nowhere. Why didn't he not react that way this time? Because there's no evidences that Jesus is around. He's planted in a tomb. With no evidence staring you in the face at all of the reality of the truth that Jesus has spoken, are you going to believe the report of truth or are you going to let the storm dictate to you what you believe about the event that's taking place in your future? Oh, I feel a heaviness in this place. Peter leads... An expedition, a failure after this. Peter doesn't understand his influence. He doesn't understand him being a man of God, how important it is for him to watch himself, the way he conducts himself, what he says, what he influences. But he looks at him and says, I go fishing. And Then the Bible says they went forth and entered into a ship immediately and that night they caught nothing. The key word is they. When Peter said, I go fishing, he went to go by himself. But you know what he done? He, read, he led an expedition of failure. They followed him because he was leadership and he was leading the wrong thing. And he influenced, he, he influenced and led people into a losing proposition. People of the world may be blessed in their worldly pursuits, but I want to tell you, believers will never be blessed outside of their faith. Are you listening to me? No flesh is going to glory in his presence. And Peter unintentionally led people into failure. They toiled. They worked. They labored all night long. But to no avail, the Bible says, they caught nothing. Why go back to the old life? Because they can't even do it right now. Amen? They toiled. They labored all night long. And all of a sudden, Peter's saying, Why in the world have I turned back out here? Don't follow those who lose their faith. It will lead you to disaster. Don't follow those that are whining and bickering and murmuring and griping, and they're negative and they're bitter and they're angry people. Don't follow them. They'll lead you to destruction. But God loved them so much that he would not bless them in their efforts to pick up their nets. Can I tell you, the wicked may seem to prosper in everything that they do, but I want to tell you something the righteous will never prosper outside of the divine destiny assigned to their life. And I thank God for that. When I get off course and I try to go over here and start making a living in a different way than what I'm making it now, God always pulls back the blessings from off of my life because God wants me to stay in the flow of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to close here in just a minute. Here's where these two to the road of Emmaus was at. They were going back to their old life. They've lived three years in Jerusalem almost, and now they're saying, hey, he's gone. We might as well go back down to Emmaus. That's why they were on the road conversing, discussing all things that had happened, that this concealed Jesus comes to them. Verse 13 says, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not see him. It may be true that we're so quickly to remove and withdraw from ourselves from the faith, but I want to tell you something. Thank God he does not withdraw and remove himself from us. Isn't that wonderful? Just a darling, isn't it wonderful that the times that maybe when you got tricked up and you withdrawed yourself from him, he didn't withdraw himself from you. Isn't it good? Because you know what 2 Timothy 2 verse 13 says? If we believe not yet he abideth faithful because he cannot deny himself. Hallelujah. When I'm at my worst, he's at his best. Hallelujah. Then listen to verse 14. Let's go to 13 again. If we believe not yet he abideth faithful that he cannot deny himself, verse 14 of 2 Timothy 2, of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. What does that mean? Let me break it down to you. This means don't be like Peter that uses words of no profit and it subverted and influenced the hearers around him. The word subverted means undermining the power and the authority of an established system or institution. So what's this saying? Instead of Peter listening to the word of God and proclaiming God's faithfulness to the hearer, he used He was used of the devil to undermine the power and the authority that Jesus established. Jesus established his word with them. And God spoke over him. Jesus spoke over them. But the things that Jesus spoke over them, Peter undermined that authority. He caused people to buy into a failing expedition because his words were without profit. I want to tell you, life and death is in the power of the tongue. And you can either bring cursing out of your mouth or you can bring blessing out of your mouth. You will either be justified by your words or you'll be condemned by your words. And when your back's against the wall, don't speak negative. Don't speak those things that that are bitter and full of anger and full of doubt and unbelief. Speak faith. Speak the words that Jesus has spoken. Don't undermine the words that God has already proclaimed over your life. Can I have an amen? i got to quit. Here I come. So Jesus is there. He comes between. They do not know him because their eyes are restrained. The word restrained means that they were so emotionally unattached to its possibility that they could not believe it was possible. They weren't looking for Jesus, you'll not see him if you're not looking for him. How can you see somebody if you're not attentive to look for him? Their emotions were so wrapped up in the prevailing circumstances, they didn't even think it possible for it to be him to be there. So even though everybody says, well, they were blinded. No, they didn't recognize, they could not comprehend it was him, because their circumstances blinded them, just like when the disciples were out in the boat. And the storm was there. Jesus come walking on the water and said, Oh, they thought they'd seen a ghost. They couldn't recognize him. Why? Because they didn't think it was possible for him to be there. They lost their possibility. And let's, let me just say this in closing When you can't go to where he's at, he will come to where you're at. When you can't believe, he'll believe for you. Isn't that wonderful? That you don't have to have your life all together and you don't have to live in some kind of a high dimension or high level spiritually. You don't have to reach some kind of a milestone in order to get God's attention. All you've got to be is a real child of God and even in your doubts and dismays and your fears and everything that's wrong in your life and when you have bloated and when you have walked away and when you have withdrawn and when you have not been your best, it does not matter. He still loves you. His love is always on you. He is a God that is a good God all the time and when you can't find yourself, he'll find you in your mouth. Yes, I'm about to dance I would or I'll lose my pants I'll embarrass myself <laughs> oh somebody helped me preach this morning and all of a sudden he says well they've not recognized me and he says well what things are you talking about as, as, as if he was uninformed of the events that took place Have you ever felt like the God's uninformed about the events that take place in your life? Have you ever felt like God ain't even aware of what I'm going through? God don't understand where I'm at. And it seems like this concealed Jesus was so unaware of what just took place when in reality, everything that took place was what took place to him. And there he is. And they said, are you a stranger? The only stranger to Jerusalem? Have you not heard and seen what has taken place in the last three days? How that Jesus of Nazareth, the prophet of God, now they've demoted him from Messiah to prophet. That's so what happens. He was Messiah prior to it, but now he's just a prophet. Why? Because, well, he's not Messiah, He's dead. So we've given up on that. We'll hold on to some truth, but not all the truth because the evidences don't point to the truth that we thought he was. And when evidences don't clearly seem to point your way that you know the word does, you've got to believe the report of the word over the circumstances that's prevailing against you. I wish I could say that again. <laughs> Being under the anointing is dangerous. You know that? here they are, and Jesus sparks up a conversation on purpose. I love it. Why does he do it? Because he wants them to get to hashing it out. He wants to hear their perspective. He wants to try their faith. But more importantly, he wants them to get to talking about spiritual things. Why? Because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And Jesus begins to affirm them and build them up in the faith, and they don't even know it. All of a sudden they get to talking and when they get to talking, life and light begins to spring up a little bit. Jesus gets to listening to them and he listens to all of their arguments and then all of a sudden he comes in and he challenges their thinking and he reorders their steps because he said, oh, you fools, don't you understand that you got to believe what the prophets have declared and it wasn't not necessary for him to suffer and for him to go into his glory. And then he tells them everything about the prophets all the way back to Moses. And he goes and he fellowships and he's speaking truth and he's speaking life. He's speaking vitality. He's speaking vision into them. And all of a sudden he breaks bread with them and they partake him when he does. Their eyes are open and they see him clearly. I wished I had an hour to preach right there. God's wanting some people to see him clearly in the midst of their darkness. And you know what the next thing says? Boom, he was out of their sight. And they said, hope came back. Life came back. Inspiration came back. How'd I know? Because they said, did not our hearts burn within us when he talked to us? (laughs) And then the next thing it says, and they hastily turned away from Emmaus, and they went back to Jerusalem they went back to the shattered dream and even though Jerusalem was the Mecca the city of David of their faith yet they left it because of the persecution but now they're no longer afraid of the persecution they're no longer afraid of what men might do to them why they had a counter on the Emmaus road where Jesus proved to them that he was alive Right prior to that, they even tell him, hey, some women went to the tomb, said that an angel appeared to him and said that he was alive, but said those that was with us, we went to the tomb. We found no evidences of it. We found no proof of it. But they found proof that day, and they got up and they hightail it back to the place of blessing. They went back home to their faith. Would you stand with me this morning? Oh I didn't even get all of my message out. God's wanting to visit somebody with a Lazarus moment. And can I tell you, no matter where you're at here this morning, folks. I've been pastoring for 35 years almost now. The last year has been the hardest year of my entire ministry combined. As a shepherd, trying to move and launch this thing in a pandemic that is destroying momentum, trying to keep the flock together, trying to bring, you get snowballs effects. 1,500 ministers every single day leave the ministry. Think about how many people, leaders like Peter, are where they're leading their laity. 1,500 are going back fishing, and how many laity are they pulling out with them because of their influence and their example? There's a weightiness on the ministry like never before. There's a heaviness on the body of Christ. There's persecution arising upon the believer in America. If only you hear the words that I hear as a pastor from them to so many people. Oh, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Oh, I'm, a, I'm a ready to check out. I'm, I'm done with this. Their lives are so pressured. We're living in a pressure cooker society. Person after person, family after family, faced with what seems to be shattered dreams. And everything that they held to be true seems to be nothing but a false. Nothing but a scam. I pray nothing happens. I believe no movement. I seek no no interaction from God. The next verse when it talks about subverting through non-profit speech, where Peter used non-profit speech and it subverted the people to buy into something outside of the spoken word that God had already sent over their lives. It says, study to show yourself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, and refrain from vain, vain fables and, and which lead unto more ungodliness. We've got to believe that we are children of God and that God is good all the time, and in the middle of our darkness, he's there whether we see him or not. Jesus is in this house this morning. Whether you detect him, whether you know him or not, he's in your situation. Why is it that you think God stopped loving you just because your circumstances has changed? He's a good God all the time. I'm gonna ask you this morning, Will you just begin to love the Lord and let his goodness shine upon you and let him speak to you like he did to them people on the road to Emmaus? Let him change your perspective. Let him change your whole, your whole idea of thinking. Folks, if you're hurting this morning, I, I, I just felt like I should do this. If you're, if you're hurting this morning, discouraged and, and, you know, confused and you're going through some hardships, I just want you to come up here and stand. Don't be afraid. Come on, just come up here and stand. Just step out of your seat and say, I'm leaving Emmaus, I'm going back to Jerusalem where I understand it or not. I'm going to the place of blessing. Come on, there's more than one person in this building this morning. I mean, this thing's heavy upon me. You're discouraged. Things are not going your way. Your world's being rocked. Things could get better. If you want things better, I want you to come. Come on, move. In the name of Jesus. Look these people. They're battling And they're honest about it. And they're sincere about it. Aren't you glad you're saved by grace and not by works? Aren't you glad that your salvation don't depend upon you pushing the right buttons, doing everything just right, hitting the high notes? Bob, when you can't see him, he's there. When you're at your worst, he's at his best. Hallelujah. When you can't go to where he's at because your faith won't let you, his faith will come to you. <laughs> Little girl, hang on, Your Lazarus. Moment is coming. It's here, it's not the door. Don't quit believing ah, everything you've ever believed is true. Speak them, proclaim them, it's all right. Don't abort them now, you're too close to your promise. Yes. Hallelujah. Those of you that are standing here and you're hurting, I got a word, you gotta believe this word. Appropriate this word into your spirit. I'm about to have a Lazarus moment. God's gonna, come th- God's gonna come through for you. He always has. At what time did God ever fail you in your past? Never. And he's not failing you in your present and he's not gonna fail you in your future. Whatever you're going through. <laughs> Whatever you all going through as a couple, he's got your back. And when you can't believe, he's going to come and he's going to build faith in you. It may be a process, but he's already beginning. This sermon right here has already been to edify and encourage. He's a good God on your behalf. I don't understand what you're going through. God does. All the things that's piling up on you as a couple, what's coming up on you in the spiritual, the physical, the financial, the emotional, all kind, God knows it all. And he's going to come through for you. You believe it? He's gonna come through for you. He's gonna come through. Give me your hand. Father, I proclaim blessing upon her in the name of Jesus. And the things that seem to be going contrary to the things in which she believes, Father, I ask you to let her have faith to appropriate that which you've already declared and decreed and the promises of God are yea and nay, and amen, and they shall come to pass in her life. In Jesus' name, it's settled, it's done. Life shall spring up. Amen. Shelly, you've known the Lord most of your adult life. Things are heavy on you, I see it. Oh, rejoice. Let the burden be lifted. It ain't for yours to carry any longer. That man of Emmaus standing beside you right now. Yeah, there he is. You can trust him in this. Lay it over, roll it over. Just roll it over. Roll the burden over. It ain't yours to carry. There don't seem to be any movement, no sign, nothing happening. But in the wee hours of the night, you'll hear the words come forth and you'll come out. You're not going down. You're going up in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like for the congregation to lift your hands towards the brothers and sisters. Pray over your family. Pray over those that's in the heat of the moment. Those that their faith is just being tested and tried. Yeah, would you pray for them? I pray over this congregation right now in the name of Jesus, Father, that you will bless every single one of them in the name of Jesus. I pray life, liberty, health, healing, and wholeness in the midst of this pandemic. I pray to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west, that you'll gather them all back to the living and that will come back under the umbrella of the city of David, the city of Jerusalem, under blessing. Bless this assembly. Bless the constituents, the members, and the believers of this congregation. Give them life, liberty, health, and wholeness in Jesus' name. Now I want the church to rejoice and give God glory and praise if you believe what I have preached to be true. God bless you. You're
0: dismissed this morning.